0: Standing, please remain standing uh, for the reading of God's word. Our sermon text this morning is Galatians 4, 8 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that are by nature not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You could be seated as we pray. Father, we have come to an extraordinarily strange day and time in our church. This is definitely odd uh, to be uh, proclaiming and receiving your word spread out across our city uh, through computer monitors and phones, through a live stream in an empty room. But you, God, are sovereign. You are ever-present. You speak to us through computer monitors, through phones, through live streams in empty rooms. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we look to your eternal and timeless word in a time of new new situations, new troubles, new trials, and new difficulties. You are good, your word is good, And you've given us all we need in Christ. And so it's in his matchless, great name I pray. Amen. So, I'm not going to lie. I won't. This is not how I expected my first week of full-time ministry to go. Not even close. But, it's where we are, right? We're not the only ones. Uh, meeting over live stream today. I'm not the only preacher staring at a camera uh, in America this morning. But we believe it to be for good, for the safety of our city, and the safety of you. So I want to extend a thank you to those of you who have tuned in this morning, for those of you who are locked in and participating, even when we're not meeting here uh, collectively as a body, um, in, in a gathered assembly. I thank you that you have uh, you have chosen to, to be with us as best as we're able um, at the moment. Because this truly has been a very strange last 48, 36 uh, hours. It's been a long weekend as, as we've planned and as we've evaluated the situation and as we've made decisions. But I am thankful that at least we have the opportunity to meet um, in this very different way. So we could almost put on the clock and calendar when this coronavirus entered the American consciousness, and that would be probably about Wednesday at 6 p.m., where, as you'll recall, um, we had uh, the NBA shut down, the, the whole thing, Um, We had the uh, President of the United States give his most somber address to the situation so far, and Tom Hanks uh, contracted the illness, all in one evening. And we begin to see the influence of leadership from that, because as this major sports organization, the President, the celebrity, all address this issue in various ways, we saw a response the next day uh, we saw how leadership can change culture because the next day, toilet paper was flying off Walmart shelves like an F5 tornado was coming through the store. So, uh, we have seen very clearly the ways that leadership is able to affect culture. And that's true in any time of crisis. Any time that uh, any time of, of war of uh, of pestilence of of illness of um, of terrorism of natural disaster, we see that the influence of leadership to affect culture is made greater. it's, ex- it's exasperated. But ultimately, ultimately, whether we are in a time of crisis or not, leadership is vitally important to uh, developing a culture and growing a culture. And so in that we see it at top levels, governments, we see it uh, in businesses, and we see it in churches. We see it in the church at Trace Crossing. And that's what brings us to Galatians 4, 8 through 20. So, as Matthew correctly said uh, a week ago, um, when we first started, um, or maybe we were into the process, I don't remember exactly, but we were dividing up the way that uh, these passages would fall, and I knew that around spring break I would be preaching, and uh, so Matthew had said that it would be Galatians uh, 4, uh, 21 through uh, 31, which is Sarah and Hagar, And I I was like, that is fine. Give me that. Uh, I will be fine with that as long as I don't have uh, Galatians 4, 8 through 20, which, if you're following along with the timeline here, is what I'm doing right now. Um, So when I first opened this passage this week, and when I was looking at it beforehand and asking Matthew not to give it to me, um, I I just had trouble... Getting it. It just felt, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it felt like a Facebook rant at first. It just felt like Paul is just blowing up on these Galatians. There's no real point to it. He, he's just upset. He's just, there's no new themes here. He's just reiterating things. But I was wrong. I was wrong about that. It is simple. It's straightforward. There's not there's not a lot of uh, of complicated argumentation and theological building. Uh, that's not there, like it is in the rest of Galatians. Instead, what we have here is a very personal, pastoral plea to these Galatians. We see Paul being, frankly, vulnerable in a way that he hasn't through the rest of the letter. As he he addresses them as an apostle and authority, as he. Um, is he instructs them on the law and the gospel and Christ Jesus. But here, he's personal. He's very direct with them, and he appeals to them as someone who loves them and wants to lead them in Christ Jesus. So even though, even though it is different from the rest of Galatians, and even though it's simple, I still see so much rich potential for application for, um, for, for, for living this text out. But before we do that, of course, um, we have to understand it. We have to uh, come to the text and, and ask what exactly is Paul getting at and understand his message before we can begin to apply that message uh, to our lives. So uh, what I want to look at, what we'll have the opportunity to look at this morning is the nature of the Galatians' problems and then the cause of those problems or at least what is exasperating them. So uh, if we could go ahead and just dive right into that. The first thing we see in this passage is the Galatians problem and to, to give context to this we'll have to review a little bit. The the main nature of what Paul's been addressing through this letter is the culture of legalism that's been built uh, among these people that he's writing to this church or these churches. That he's writing to uh, to the Galatians. They have built a culture of of expectations to keep the Jewish law around the gospel. They've abandoned life in and through the freedom of Christ that uh, that is given to us as we are made new creatures. Um, in the gospel, Jew, Gentile alike, and so they've begun to um, take on uh, circumcision, on uh, this this Jewish calendar, on the um, the ritual system, and so as such, they have um, they have, in a sense, forfeited their freedom in Christ, and so that is why Paul is writing to them in Galatians four eight through 11, he explains to them very clearly and specifically what kind of position they've put themselves in through this culture of legalism. Verses 8 and 9, I think, spell this out especially well. Let me read those to you again. Verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that are by nature not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So in verses 8 through 11, um, Paul is making the point that these Galatians have begun to alienate themselves from their relationship with God. He uses the word no and eight and nine to illustrate the relationship, the intimate relationship that they had with God. Formerly before that, of course, he says that they were enslaved to those things that are not God's. We don't really know exactly what he meant by that. It could be that they were actually worshiping pagan idols. It it could be that he's using the word uh, not-gods there to refer to the same kind of idols that we would, you know, of of things that are um, not God but are worshipped in the place of him. But regardless, they were enslaved to those things. But they had been, in verses uh, 1 through 7 of chapter 4, we see they had been transitioned from their slavery into adoption as sons. Their identity had been radically transformed, and now they were in the intimate, loving arms of their father. But now, in their culture of legalism, they were willingly submitting themselves to the yoke of legalism, and they were submitting themselves to slavery again. And they were attempting to relate to God, not as sons and daughters, but as slaves, and as slaves alienating themselves from God. They knew him formerly, at least as as Paul said, They, they didn't, but then they did, and now they're trying to go back to what they once were. And so, Paul is And in fact, hinting at the fact that their legalism is what is pulling the strands of their their relationship with God. is stripping them of what they value most. It's taking them from a place of intimacy with God to a place of alienation. Because they are not relating to God as sons, but as slaves. And so, he says very somberly in verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And those are probably the saddest and most serious words of the book of Galatians. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. When we look at legalism, it appears to be a beefier, more robust version of Christianity at first. At at first blush, it looks like a Christianity that takes the holiness of God seriously and our sinfulness seriously. But ultimately what it is is its a front meant to mask the spiritual anemia beneath. It's not an alternate form of Christianity. It's not a weaker form of Christianity. It is a distorted imitation of Christianity. Legalism takes the gospel and distorts it and alienates us to God where the gospel brings us near to him. So if legalism is so serious and so severe, it's so dangerous to us, we must reject it altogether, then why would the Galatians take it on? Well, I think we see the cause of that in 12 through 20. We could see a superficial cause in verses 12 through 16. Let's look at that, the superficial cause. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong there's two ways that we could kind of interpret this. We could see that Paul is anticipating that the Galatians might be hostile to him, or he has reason to believe that they actually have become hostile to them. And I lean more towards the second one, um, because of his emotional and direct appeal to them, that he is he's appealing to them and, and asking them to remember how they formerly treated him. So when they first received him, they received him, as he said, as an angel, as a messenger of God. They gladly received the gospel. They, they received Paul. They, uh, they, they loved him. and In fact, it was in spite of some bodily ailment that he thought would be a trial to them that would prevent them from loving him as well as they otherwise could. Uh, we don't know exactly, of course. Again, what this is, um, it could be um, a spe- especially contagious disease, um, which we wouldn't know what that's like, right? But uh, it could be it could be that it could be an unsightly bodily condition. It could have something to do with his eyes, based on the fact that he says that they would have gouged them out and, and given them hi- their eyes if it would have been helpful. But regardless. For some reason, that should have been a trial to the Galatians, but it wasn't. They loved him. They received him. They were glad to have him, but something had changed. They, Paul had become their enemy by telling them the truth. They had begun to reject Paul's message. And so, if this is all we had to go on, if this is all we had to, to hear, we might think that this was the cause, that there had been some shift in their opinion of Paul, which had caused them to uh, reject his his, uh, his doctrine, um, this, this hostility that they're uh, displaying to him. But I think there's a deeper cause to their culture of legalism that's made very clear in verse 17 especially. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Enter a third party. Uh, Paul has been you know speaking to you 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 me 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 this whole time, but now we 're seeing somebody else enter the picture, someone he 's calling they that are disrupting them that are disturbing them in their uh, in their beliefs, and we can assume based on the content of the letter their culture and uh, and their their actions so uh, it is not merely that the Galatians had become hostile to Paul. That's, that's a surface cause that I think is caused even more by this deep-rooted issue, corrupt and toxic leadership in uh, this, this Galatian assembly. So these people were um, ultimately uh, causing a disruption. How were they doing it? Well, verse 17 tells us that they wanted to shut the Galatians out, according to Paul. Now, what does that mean exactly? Basically, that these uh, leaders of this church had set up uh, restrictions uh, based on the Jewish law on these Galatian believers that would have controlled the culture and prevented them from living out their freedom in Christ. They were shut out from their freedom in Christ. Best way I think I could explain it is just through an analogy. So when Paul first came to them, and he proclaimed the gospel, they were brought out into the open field in Christ, where they were free to explore and grow uh, in Christ Jesus, and, uh, and there, was, there was plenty of latitude. But These leaders come in and they begin to set up a fence to restrict these Galatians to uh, create a culture of expectation uh, of legalism, of restriction on the gospel. And so you, they hammer out uh, circumcision. Um, they put a wall of, uh, of ritual obedience, as we see in, in uh, verse 10 of this section, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Uh, they create a new division of Jew and Gentile. They exasperate that, that division of people. And so eventually, these Galatians are boxed in and shut out of true freedom in Christ. These leaders had given them the imitation that they were in Christ, but they had restricted them from all that Christ has to offer, all the freedom of Christ. They had shut them out. But why? Why would these Galatian leaders want to do that? Well, Paul gives us a hint to that in verse 17 as well. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Paul has, a, Paul has an opinion that their motivations are less than pure. That these leaders that were establishing this culture were doing so out of selfish ambition, that they were trying to create a culture where they would be admired, where they would be liked, and they would be beloved. But how would that work? Because, honestly, our intuition is that a legalistic culture is not something we want to be part of, ever. We don't want to be a part of stuffy legalism. We want to participate in the freedom of Christ. And it sounds that way when we put it like that. But... People give in to legalism all the time because they find it preferable to freedom in Christ. And, and now, when you put it like this, or I put it like this, I hope you'll, you'll understand a little better. When you create a structure where someone can clearly um, meet a set of expectations and ascend in, in rank and in approval in a community, they are going, it is going to be conducive to those who can do that. To those who are able to keep these expectations and regulations that you've put in place, they will ascend the rank, they will, they will crave your approval as a leader, uh, they will rise more and more, they will get more approval and want to go higher, and so they will love you to death. For those who cannot abide by these regulations and these expectations, they uh, will you will be able to just clearly point to them and say, well, you haven't been keeping these expectations and these reg- reg- no, excuse me, regulations. That's why you're not thriving. And so, as a leader, you get all of the love uh, and approval when someone succeeds in your community. But when they do not, you don't have any responsibility for that because you can point to this, this you know, set of expectations that they have not kept um we We see this in, in two things, and I'm not necessarily comparing the two to one another, but make make your make your own inferences. Um, we see this in cults and multi level marketing schemes um, so in cults, obviously you know there are these the, the sets of ways that you can ascend i mean you think about like Scientology being a huge huge cult where it's by by money and by participation you can grow and grow and grow in the Excuse me. In the cult, or you think about multi-level marketing schemes, where by producing the right sales numbers, you can grow and grow and grow. And people outside of this think you are insane for participating in this. But the people who are in a cult or in a in a multi-level marketing scheme love them. They love them to death. Uh, and so, um, when we see the motivations of these leaders, they were less than pure. They were creating a culture where they would be beloved and where they would be supreme. And furthermore, I believe, I believe trying to imprint uh, themselves upon uh, these um, Galatian believers and reproduce themselves based on the, uh, the, the way that Paul is speaking to the Galatians through the book. So uh, these people have, have demonstrated that they want to shut out the Galatians and that they've done so for less than pure motive. But we do have a contrast here, and I think Paul is very cleverly setting it up, Uh, but he is is showing himself to be the contrast to these uh, Galatian leaders. So we see that Paul is selfless and sacrificial where these leaders are very selfish and self-interested. Verses 18 and 19, for instance. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. So uh, Paul, rather than making much of them, of commending them and, and trying to earn their favor, has been, if, you, if you've read the letter, is speaking very candidly, directly to them, in a way that would not please them. And so he is risking uh, being damaged in reputation there among them so that they would be benefited from it. He is, as he says, in the anguish of childbirth, that it's painful for him to write this way to them, but he's doing so for their benefit. He is uh, not counting his, his own Ability to be loved by them it is something to be gained, but he is sacrificing it for, for Christ to be formed in them, as he said. So he's selfless and sacrificial, but he's also pastoral and sensitive. In verse 12, he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, the exact meaning of that phrase can be kind of, uh, kind of be hard to catch, but I think what Paul is saying here is that when he came to them, he, he came near to them. He didn't uh, use his, um, his uh, standing as an apostle or his Jewish heritage or something to distance himself from the Galatians, but he came near to them. And so he's asking them to, in the same way, come and join him in his freedom in Christ. And he's not just pastoral and wanting to come near to them and meet them in their needs and think about the ways that this is affecting their heart. But in verse 20, he's also sensitive where he says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I'm perplexed about you. He's not just beating them over the head. He's loving them, caring about them, and, uh, and, and taking this, this carefully and with love in his heart. But ultimately, ultimately the biggest way that he is different from these Galatian leaders is that he has the best intentions for them. Again in verse 19, he says that he's in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. These Galatian leaders, the ones who were disturbing them, these ones who are leading them astray, they are doing so out of self interest. And ultimately, as I said, I think to reproduce themselves in these Galatians. Paul desires that they would be disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul desires that they would be formed into the image of Christ, not into the image of these Galatian leaders, not into the image of a model Jew. He wants them to be formed into the image of Christ. All of the spiritual, moral components of Christ to be formed in them. All of the freedom of Christ. He wants them to have for the whole pasture. He doesn't want to fence them in and control them. He wants them to be free in Christ. He wants them to live out the identity of Christ. And so, I think when we put this together, we can begin to get a picture of what was going on in Galatia that these uh, leaders had been agitating, that's, that's, that's the common word, I, I always find it a little funny, but uh, that these leaders had been agitating the, uh, the Galatians against Paul. They had been uh, rejecting the freedom of Christ and in favor uh, putting on the yoke of legalism. And Paul is writing to show them that there is a better way, that there is freedom in Christ and that he loves them he cares about them, and he is interested in their best. So, uh, now that we have a picture of what's going on in Galatia, I believe that we're ripe and ready to apply this to ourselves and to our own church. So, I've broken down the application of this passage into three different demographics. Leaders, those who were led, and everybody. So leaders, those who are led, and everybody. So this passage, I believe, is just right for application for leaders in our midst, and that is more people than you think, because initially many of you are going to think, oh, elders uh, or staff members, but it goes beyond that. Any of you who are discipling in any way uh, whether you're a life group leader, whether you teach in, in TC Kids, uh, whether even, even uh, you know, leading in, in the nursery or uh, as you lead here um, on stage, it, it is all um, acting as a leader. And so we must examine our motives as leaders I think this is probably one of the most significant applications that we can make of this passage. We must examine our own motivations in leading. Why do we lead? What do we, why do we do what we do as leaders? Are we like the Galatian uh, leaders, the, the, the Jewish agitators that are leading out of self-interest? Are we trying to further our personal agendas in Trace Crossing? Or are we like Paul? We motivated in the best interests of others that Christ would be formed in those we lead. If if we are led by self-interest, we will be tempted to warp our decisions, to warp our uh, our, our actions among one another in such a way that um, in such a way that is for our benefit, but not for the benefit of others. So we must examine our motivations, why we are motivated to do what we do, but we also must be aware of the culture we're building. These these Galatian leaders were building a culture of of legalism, and if if we take what Paul says seriously, and, and I do, then they were doing so intentionally, but it's even easy to do intentionally. Even if you have uh, good motives, it's it's easy to build a legalistic culture because discipleship is a lot easier with a set of rules than it is through the general principle of forming Christ and, and the person you're discipling. When we have a list of rules, again, as I said earlier, it's easy to um, it's easy to uh, counsel people. You know, oh, are you are you reading your Bible? Yes, you are. Okay, well, you're reading it twice? You know, you're reading it in the morning and the night? Okay, well, start reading it at night and see, you know, tell me how that what that does for you. Um, or, uh, as we're discipling a person, we'll, we'll give our own preferences and our own way of, of discipling uh, and our, our own way of growing in Christ as the way of growing in Christ, as if that is the only uh, way to grow in Christ in our specific preferences. So we must be aware of the culture we're building because we are always building culture. If you lead here in any way, in any capacity, you are building culture. So leaders, examine your motives and be aware of the culture that you're building. For those who are led, I want to say first, consider who you allow to lead you. At TRACE, this begins with our leadership processes. So later this year, we will have elder nominations, and and those those leaders will go through a uh, will go through a, a elder process as they are they're nominated and become elders. Take that seriously. It's it matters. These leaders in Galatia were misleading them. Uh, carefully consider who you submit um, as an elder nomination. Think through. Do they have personal agendas? Are they self-interested? Uh, would they be building a culture that's contrary to the formation of Christ among us? Would they be uh, acting as something other than the best interest of our whole congregation? If so, don't nominate them. Um, if so, um, speak, to, speak to the elders who are examining them. Uh, share your concerns. Um, we have to uh, consider carefully who we allow to lead us. Um, In the same way, non-trace specific, uh, but, you know, applicable to everybody, is the availability that we have of online teaching. You are listening to me online right now, unless your name is Josh Poor. Everybody else is listening to this digitally. There are troves and troves and troves of of ministries online uh, that would love your ear, uh, some that would love your wallet as well, um, that want to uh, lead you and direct you. And those ministries aren't necessarily bad. There's so many good ones, and there's so much good teaching online. Just be aware and be careful of the way that you're being led because it matters. It builds and it builds, it shapes you. It builds and shapes the culture of this church. Uh, the, the people that we allow to influence us as individuals or as a body ultimately um, shape the culture that we have. But I wanted to also say to those who were led to examine your leadership. So it can be really easy to get into uh, the, the rut of life through going to work, going to, to managing all of your, your children's uh, activities and, uh, and schedules and uh, getting supper on the table and just being, uh, just, just being in the world. That uh, when we start talking about the culture of leadership in our church, it could be really easy to just coast and to just let us lead, let us take care of it for you, uh, but I, I implore you to constantly uh, examine us, see whether we are have the interest of forming Christ or whether we 're trying to form our own culture, our own ideas of what we think is best i 'd say lastly, for those who are led, examine your own contributions so Most everything Paul is writing here in this letter is to the the Galatians specifically, not necessarily to the leaders. Um, It could be really easy if we're being led, especially if you're not in a position of leadership in the church, to not think through very carefully how what you say and what you do affects other people and builds culture in the church. But everybody, even those who are not in leadership, um, affect. Culture. So don't hear me today talk about the importance of leadership in developing a gospel culture, um, in developing a culture where Christ is magnified and formed in one another, and think, okay, well, that is not necessarily something I have to worry about because I'm not in a position of leadership. No, we all have contributions to uh, the way that Christ is either exalted or diminished in our midst. So, lastly, for everybody, first, take legalism Seriously. Um, this harkens back to what we said earlier, uh, way earlier, that this change in the Galatian believers resulted in a shattered relationship with God. We mourn and we weep when we hear that someone from our midst is falling away from faith. But we don't have that same concern for those who are legalistic, so long as they at least claim the identity of Christ legalism is serious, it's corrosive, and it leads to spiritual anemia. So I pray that we would take legalism seriously, that we would address it as it comes about, that you would be uh, on guard. We don't need a witch hunt for legalists, but uh, just be aware. Take legalism in your brother and sister seriously, the same way that you would if you heard that someone was falling away from faith Last thing that I want to say, for everybody, strive for a culture that forms Christ in one another. That's why we exist. That's why we're pumping this through a live stream this morning. That's why we we meet together regularly, is because we want Christ to be formed in you, and in me, all of us. There is nothing better for Christian people that they look like their Savior. So we don't want to form ourselves and other people. We don't want a bunch of, uh, of Avery's, Josh's, Matthew's, or any of our, our lay elders. We want Christ magnified. We want Christ reproduced in our midst. There's so much freedom. There's so much latitude there, but there is a goal, that Christ would be formed in one another, that his saving and atoning death would transform us more and more as we look like the image of our Savior. So let's pray.